episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Holy shit, man. Um, Basically, what, eight months after I came on this podcast and actively cried about the John Wall trade for Russell Westbrook, um, Russ is now on the move again. Um, This is kind of the main story as it relates to the start of offseason. So, of course, you know, today's the draft. I think everybody, especially guys like me and you as Kings and Wizards fans, our favorite day of the year, right? <laughs> yep. Um, and we got an absolute bombshell uh, this this morning or this afternoon, I guess. And so, you know, let's get to the draft in a second. I, I feel like I just have to opine right now on Russ being traded to the Lakers here. So the deal was was Westbrook to L.A. for KCP, Kuzma, uh, Montrez Harrell and the number 22 pick tonight. Um, and then we're sending a couple future second rounders. So my first thought, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to bias you. I want to hear your thoughts as an objective fan. You're, you're a fan of LeBron, but you're not a fan of the Lakers. So like, what did you think of the move on the surface? Now that you've had some time to digest, cause it's been kind of sort of official for about you know, five, six hours now. Well, first of all, have our teams ever been so intertwined like this? In, it was in crazy. It was crazy. Obviously, uh, the Kings just even like literally minutes before the the Westbrook, the Wizards trade was broken, it looked like it was final that Buddy Heald was going to the Lakers for Kuzma, KCP, Harrell, and maybe the twenty second pick. But then right after that, Shams drops the bombshell, uh, and Woj confirms it later, right, that the the Wizards were in it. First off, I, I think. I don't like it for the Lakers. I Westbrook, look, I know you, uh, you know, I saw you getting a little emotional with your tweet about what <laughs> Russ meant to the city when literally two months before the conclusion of the season, you were ready to run his ass out when the Wizards were struggling and things were not working. So, dude, um, I'm sensitive right now. I'm wearing a Washington National shirt, actually, as we just got rid of the greatest pitcher in franchise history, Max Scherzer, and our young superstar true. shortstop for no fucking reason to the Dodgers, who seemingly have an endless amount of money and prospects to develop to, to acquire whoever they want. So anyway, it's fitting, was, right? Washington unloading their their star to players LA. to L.A. Yeah, I know. Um but, but, okay, my immediate reaction is I don't like it for the Lakers. I don't know what West – I get Westbrook is boys with LeBron. He's cool with AD, and and he has a hyper-competitiveness that that team is lacking. But this team didn't need – they needed shooting. The last thing they need is another ball stopper, a guy who's going to take bad shots, and a guy who's going to take up all the cap space. Like, yeah, they can get guys in the minimum, but, like, they're going to have a hard time filling out the rest of this roster with proven guys. And – Ultimately, that was their problem. I don't think Westbrook is going to solve a lot of the issues they had. So I, I don't like it. I think Heald actually made more sense. Dude, um, those three but, players, Davis, LeBron, and Westbrook, are going to make $121 million, just the three of them next season. It's ridiculous. Like For I, reference, the cap, I think, is like $110 million in, in its entirety. <laughs> so <laughs> needless to say, this is their team for the next couple years. Right. I, it's funny because there was a report that leaked, I think yesterday or today, that was just like a slew of veterans are signing up or lining up to sign veteran minimum deals with the Lakers. It's like, who the fuck are all these people? Like who's just automatically going to come? We already tried that last year with Marcus and it was a total disaster. 
Like what do we, and Andre Drummond even halfway, you know, as a buyout guy. So who is this list of people that are coming? I, I thought that the healed deal definitely made more sense. They probably actually, actually had to give up a little bit less too. Um, you know, if they could have hung on to KCP, who doesn't really factor in that much with Sacramento, that is a guy you would actually want, right? As a you know perfect three and D uh, next to LeBron. But I gotta say, dude, Russ in purple and gold, back in his hometown, back home. yeah, back home. Just the star power. I mean, at the end of the day. I think you could go all night about how many times he's let teams down in the playoffs and how easy it is to to scheme for him in the playoffs. But regular season-wise, just in terms of what he can do on a night-to-night basis, taking the pressure off LeBron, I think is actually going to be really important. So I think that's the piece that's a little bit underrated. That being said, like they're going to play, you know, let's say they play the Clippers in the playoffs and they're just like 10 feet off of him, just letting him shoot. There's nothing LeBron's greatness can do about that. But that's the problem, right? Like Russ is a guy who every year, you know, you love his attitude. You love his work ethic on the court every night going balls to the wall. But ultimately you get into the postseason and this guy can't hit a three-point shot. Spacing gets all cl- – like every year we see the same thing and every year his numbers in the postseason tank. So I don't get what he's going to do with this Lakers team that's already going to have an issue with spacing. Um Am I counting LeBron's greatness too too heavily? Because I just kind of feel like he'll figure it out, though. It's like LeBron is not at the same stage in his career, man. I think he needs just a better, well-rounded team at this point than a a, a name like Westbrook. Like I I don't see how Westbrook is. What is Westbrook going to solve for them? Explain to me how Westbrook is going to solve their issues. Westbrook is going to, in the regular season, take a lot of the playmaking burden off LeBron. He's going to get them post-season. a lot of... Let's focus on the post. This team only cares about the postseason. Well, okay, but part of what will make them fresh in the postseason is LeBron not having to bring the ball up the court every possession you know, for 70 games. Or the fact that he could play less games. Like They could beat uh, a Cleveland when it's just Westbrook and Davis. Or they can beat you know, a Chicago when it's just LeBron and Westbrook. Something like that. Like They can load manage effectively while always keeping two dudes on the floor who give you a very high uh, bar. Uh, any given night because like the thing in dc is and houston is westbrook sucked for like two months and then was awesome um if he sucks they are good enough with the other two that they can kind of account for that and then they can allow him to play into it but look in the playoffs they they don't have an they don't have a a way to hide him. <laughs> it's funny. You wouldn't think of a former MVP needing to be hit on offense, but that's almost what happens with Russell Westbrook. The bigger problem though, to me is who in the West is going to uh, challenge this team. Like the Clippers are done. Uh, the Nuggets are not going to get Murray back forever. Phoenix is not going to make another miracle run. And, you know, even if they do, it's going to be 37 year old Chris Paul golden state to me, I think, you know, and we can talk Let's get into the draft here in a second. Golden state had a great, great draft, but, we're now expecting Clay off a two-year layoff plus, you know, two rookies who are now going to be in the rotation to suddenly make a big difference. That would be the only team. And I just see that the size of the Lakers is, you know, going to be too much. Who, who's going to be that team that actually makes them pay for Westbrook? I don't see it until they get to the finals. Yeah, I, I just think that a lot of these things sound great in theory, right? Like when Westbrook went to Houston, um, Look, he can take a lot of the burden off of Harden from a usage rate standpoint. I mean, I know Chris Paul was there, but Chris Paul's health couldn't always count on it. And Westbrook's a guy you can play 40 minutes comfortably. All right. So you could take off the burden of Harden. You got two guys. Like a lot of the same arguments could be made, but how did that experiment turn out? 
Um, and it seemed like Houston that had shooting that was built around and, and it, Westbrook was such a detriment to their spacing at the end of that, that postseason run. That's what I worry about. Your, your points are valid. Like this Lakers team in the grand scheme of things in the West, they're going to be probably, you know, outside of Denver, I don't think anyone, I don't even think Golden State is going to challenge them necessarily. But I, I just, I don't know, man. I just wish they, they're trying to win a title, right? And if you're going to beat Brooklyn, yeah, you can put, put, uh, match up your three guys against their three guys. I just don't trust Westbrook as much as I would trust Brooklyn's three guys. In the I NBA. think if the Lakers struggle, it'll be because LeBron's not there anymore, not because of Westbrook. I doubt that they're going to lose a playoff series because he was the reason why. Unless oh, oh, we get okay. to the finals. Well, let's Unless we get to the finals. That. In the West playoffs, I it won't disagree. happen. It won't happen. If but AD just, gets hurt or something, then yeah, sure, like that that counts. Well, but if a those healthy, are big question marks, right? AD is yeah, but and and, and, and that's actually an argument for you Westbrook. You think Buddy Hill's gonna be like, nah, AD's hurt. I got this. Like it, we're all good. <laughs> no, if AD's hurt, they're they're screwed either way. They're fucked either way, right? Exactly. So that's the thing. That's why. So like the guys that were rumored for them, right? Kyle Lowry, DeRozan, Westbrook, Heald. Of the of that group, you know, I guess I lean Lowry. But it's not like the others don't have glaring issues too, right? Like Heald's one of the worst defenders in the league. Doesn't play nah, make. He's, he's, he's bad, but he's not the worst. I mean, okay, he's not Isaiah Thomas, but it's not like he's locking anyone down. No. He shoots. He's a phenomenal shooter. Yep. Granted, their biggest need. But they win. You know, the funny thing is they win based on defense. And Westbrook is an atrocious defender because he well, just yeah, gambles so I- all the time. <laughs> But I think in that scheme with Vogel, like you could argue maybe he figures out a way to like make him play. Westbrook has played the way he's played his entire career. It's the way he wants to play. I don't think he's all of a sudden going to become a stout, disciplined defender under Vogel. I'm so fascinated by that, though, because this is the first time in his career that he's gone to a coach that he can't just walk over. That's not Scott. Or a star player who is the point guard, right? Like... All the start. I guess you could argue Harden. They had this weird your turn, my turn thing, and it kind of worked. But it also only worked because they were bad when the other one was good, and then vice versa. When they're all clicking, and LeBron's kind of the queen of the chessboard thing. I just, I kind of don't know what Westbrook is gonna do. But you know, even in DC, when they were talking about hiring Wes Unsell Jr. as the new coach, they were like, "Hey, we need to move Russ off ball more, make him more of a cutter, like he was in his early days." At 33, I mean, dude, cutting is so hard and annoying. Like, nobody does it. I don't yeah. know if you can convince him to, but if you could, that would be a one way to do it. Yeah, I. the way I look at Westbrook at this point in his career is I think he's a floor raiser. Um, look, the Wizards were better with him. Like, I, he, I'm not saying he's a net negative. I just think at the championship level of contention, a guy like that, his flaws get even more glaring. Like, yeah. I, it, it's just... It's not about the first round matchup. It's about the conference finals, the finals where teams are scheming against you and your and his flaws. He has not fixed them over the last several years. And I don't expect him to all of a sudden become a great defender or a passable shooter. Uh, I don't know. He may, he might change, but it's just, I'm a little bit more down on it than most people. I know like Twitter and Instagram, they love it. Like, Oh, the new big three in LA from a name perspective. It's big. I, I just don't see it being revolutionary. The name is just huge in, yeah. in, in Tinseltown with Staples Center. Like, I think he's going to feed off of that. I think he's going to sh- definitely shoot like four of 27 with so <laughs> much energy one night with like 12 turnovers. And look, I'm not, I, I like the year that he played. I obviously was like, like you mentioned, a very love hate relationship, but 
I can't root for him now. Like he he actually went to the one team I don't think I would root for him. I was gonna root for yeah. him in any other circumstance, but I just can't do it for the Lakers and for LeBron and doing this podcast. It's just not I just it's not in me. And also I'm bitter because the Wizards swooped in and when we had a deal, I wanted Kuzma. Like Yeah, I really we gotta Kuzma talk about this. Why 22. do you want Kyle Kuzma, dude? Look, Kyle Kuzma's a young player. He's shown promise, right? What he what we've in learned Shanghai. about him, what we've learned about him is is he's inconsistent. He didn't have a true role on that Lakers team. They kind of yanked him in, in and out of the lineup. And but he he got really good on defense. Like he was a very good defender this last season. Um and so I think when you're a team like the Kings, you need a wing. Take a chance on a young guy like that who's cheaper than Buddy Heald, younger than Buddy Heald, plays better defense, and Buddy was clearly not working. So and then at the time the the trade was also getting picked number 22. And, you know, you could swing for the fences and get a, a project player at 22, and maybe that turns out to be someone. So I thought it made a lot of sense for the Kings to shake things up and try it out. But it, I have a feeling they got used as leverage where the Lakers took this deal to the Wizards, you know, before. Wizards said no. Then the Lakers start publicizing they've got a deal with the Kings. Wizards realize they're not going to get a better return for, for Beal. And they're like, all right, we want back in. Wasn't it crazy that Shams never reported the healed thing? He went straight to the rust trade. He didn't even report anything on that. Meanwhile, Woj, well, Woj was I like, think Woj got to it first, and Shams was kind of biting his. He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break the real yeah." Scoop. And so, really, Shams kind of won because Woj was like, "They got Montrez Harrell to opt in, therefore they can proceed with this deal with the Kings and blah blah blah." And everyone's like, "Oh shit, buddy, heal! Like this is yeah. crazy!" And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and like it was so confusing because they didn't they weren't like counteracting their tweets by like explaining what they meant. So it's like, how could the same players be involved in bringing in it Russell was, Westbrook yeah. and, um, and uh, buddy healed. And then once Woj came back over, then I was like, okay, now, now we're, now and, we're talking. And Woj was backpedaling and saying like, Oh, this is totally unforeseen. The wizard swooped in at the last second. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I think Shams actually had a pulse on it. And, from the Wizards' perspective, we were going nowhere fast with Beal and, and Russ making $80 yeah. million combined, right? We know this. Yep. The, what we saw last season was basically the ceiling for the team. Eight, eight seed, seven seed, you know, round one, non-competitive, no cap space, no way to get better. We definitely got worse players back. That, you know, that's fine, but it gives us way more flexibility to make moves. It actually, one of the nice things it does is it gives us a lot of like these 10 to $15 million contracts that can be packaged a lot easier to go get someone. Um, yeah. I mean, they need to be, you know, those players need to play well. Rui and Denny need to like show out a little bit um, to have some value. But if there is an unhappy star, like I call Anthony Towns, that is someone now you could potentially figure out a way to put a package around, you know, just even matching salaries, which is half the battle sometimes. Oh, 100%. And, and I think, I mean, look, Kuzma, I know you're not high on Kuzma, but if you're a team like the Wizards, it's, you can take a flyer and take a chance on him because yeah. the way I look at Kuzma too is he has been a 20-point-per-game score in the past, granted on a bad team, but you know there's some scoring potential there. right there. And on defense, he's versatile, he can guard multiple positions, and he's shown to be a plus defender this season. So And he's young, so like, why not? When you're a team that's in the bottom, you want to take chances on a guy like that, especially when they're not too expensive. And yeah, you could flip him, he's an asset, or you know, see how he fits on this, on this team. So I just hope that he plays defense with the same intensity when LeBron's thumb isn't up his ass. You know what I mean? Like who's <laughs> going to motivate him to play well, that style Frank versus Vogel, going right? back but, to this, 
yeah, versus going back to his gunner ways with the first two years when the Lakers lost like 108 games. But I think he learned some good defensive principles under Frank Vogel. That's how you have to yeah. look at it, right? So, all right, let's transition to the main event, uh, the NBA draft. So the first three picks went as expected: Cade Cunningham to Detroit, uh, Jalen Green to Houston, and Evan Mobley, Mobley to Cleveland. Uh, those three had kind of separated themselves. I really thought it was a four-player draft at the top with Jalen Suggs being the fourth. Big surprise. Toronto, who you could argue needs a point guard with Kyle Lowry yeah. probably out this offseason, ends up going with Scotty Barnes, um, who, you know, they have two of those guys on their team right now and Anunoby and Siakam. But nonetheless, they go with Scotty Barnes, and then things get a little weird. Josh Giddy goes sixth to Oklahoma City. That was a surprise. Zaire Williams goes tenth to um you know to memphis and oh uh the king i didn't mean to skip the kings who already have a point guard being paid 150 million dollars go another point guard davion mitchell so floor is yours on you know whichever team of those you want to start with to to yell about do you want to go through the order or do you want me to start right off the top with the kings because um it depends how where your emotions are bubbling like if you feel like you can hold off we can talk about the top of the draft let's go let's go through how the draft progressed let's go through all right so if you think about those first five picks right who do you like fit wise the best in terms of like okay this was you know a great prospect in the right situation I I don't I I don't and the top five I don't really care about the fit. Um, I don't think any of those guys have some magical fit. Cade Cunningham, Detroit obviously makes the most sense. You have Jalen. Is Green. he the real deal? I, I I believe in Cade Cunningham. I think he's gonna be great. I think he's really good. The the guy never you watched more of him than I did, but the guy never jumped off the page or jumped off the screen. I should say in the way that I would expect from a number one pick. But reading more about him, watching more about him, like that seems like kind of the point. It's like that he plays at his own pace, right? This is the Luka Doncic sort of process. Exactly. He controls the pace, and he's a very smart player. He makes all the right moves. He's not just an on-ball player. He makes the right moves off-ball. He may, he you know he knows how to not just be a high-usage guy, even though he was a high-usage guy. Good shooter, good length. Um and yeah, you can look at it as he's slow, not as athletic, but you can also look at it as he at that he can control the pace and at that athleticism still dominate. And those things all will translate. Like his ceiling is not going to be as high as Luca. I I'll say that right now. But I think he's a well-rounded, you know, really good talent. So I I have no qualms with him going number 1. I thought he was head and shoulders above the rest. Really, head and shoulders. Yeah, I think so. I think the six eight piece is definitely the most exciting when you talk. Anytime you can put like a big point guard, a jumbo point guard, everyone gets excited, right? Because it's like yeah. the, it's like the magic, right? This is why we loved Ben Simmons actually originally, right? Uh, LeBron didn't really count because he was always so physical that it, you know, yes, he had the passing, but he wasn't really. I don't know. I didn't see him like a magic clone. I yeah, saw him as yeah, like yeah. a whole whole different thing, but like. With Cade, I think what's really special is you can put basically any type of player around him because mm-hmm. of his shooting. Um, like you said, he can be high usage when he needs to. He doesn't have to be, though, because he's a catch-and-shoot player. He's a good defender. He's a high IQ player. And I and I get it because the more I watched him, the more I was like, well, his team was trash, and he basically carried them through, which is something we see a lot, in, especially with these high prospects that go to the Big 12, like Michael yeah. Beasley – you know, like Kevin Durant, like all these dudes who are just playing with trash teams, 
um, who are just the only man, and then they look worse than they are. And then you come to the NBA, you're like, oh, now that you actually put good dudes around them, we can see what's going on. Pistons, it's going to be a while before they're good. Um, you know, you just wish, not you, but as a basketball, you just wish they took Halliburton over, yeah. over uh, Killian Hayes. Um, if they had done that, then you start to see like, okay, you, you might have two to potentially three blue chippers, depending on how Sadiq Bay turns out. And, and Halliburton's a good call up because I, I think after watching Halliburton last season, I started to value some of the, like, so Halliburton's obviously nowhere near Cade Cunningham. He doesn't right. have but same body kind of, type, yeah. but smart player can play off ball, can shoot. Right. And, and I see how valuable a player and that player is like a chess piece uh, or not. Uh, what's the word? Like, really like a versatile piece you can use with any yeah. lineup, right? That, that lineup Alan flexibility Rich. is so huge in today's NBA. Like you have to have guys who can't get played off off the floor in any given situation. And um, and he's got the work ethic. He's got all the other stuff that I think translates. So I I don't think he will be a bust at all. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the list of busts of a number one pick that's on a big man, it's very small. It's hard, yeah. I mean, unless you're talking Michael Ola Candy, you know, um, Greg Oden, which he wasn't a bust. He just got hurt. Anthony Bennett. Anthony Bennett. Yeah, like it's not a long list. Almost every player who's picked number one is good. Not everyone's like a multi-time all-star, you know, Andrea Bargnani, but he was kind of a big too. Like Cade is yeah, a perimeter they're all, guy. They're all kind of forwards yeah. or yeah, 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 exactly. So in terms of guards, it's just not very common. So yep. my favorite pick was actually, and I just absolutely fucking love what the Houston Rockets are doing. Jalen Green. I'm all over this kid, dude. I think he's going to be a flat out stud. Um, I think he's got 25 point per game scoring potential. I think he's exactly what Houston needs long-term. They got Kevin Porter. They got, you know, just Jay Sean Tate. They got a lot of interesting young players. They have a million picks coming down the pipe. They had a dude. They took Sanguine at sixteen. Like they're kind of racking up the assets. Tonight. That was amazing that they got. And some, two protected picks. Like who cares, right? Like to to get a guy who you know Kevin Pelton saw that he was at sixteen and was having like a live orgasm. I'm sure, but uh, these this dude was number one on basically every advanced stat board. Uh, I just think you know take that for what it's worth. It's not like I was saying he should go number one, but to get him in the mid round. Anyway, oh no, great, great value. Great but you know green i just i i just like his spunk everything i heard about him from the g league you know jared jack talked about it because he was on that ignite team this dude wants to learn it's like kind of like that like i'm not doing the kobe you know comparison but just from a mentality standpoint you gotta love guys who don't ex- you know don't feel like they've been entitled or that they you know have something come into them that they're willing to go out and get it i think he fits that mold and dude that that basketball situation was so depressing last year you know it's possible with all the young pieces that they have they can have like a fairly quick turnaround or at least like a more exciting you know team for the next couple years absolutely i mean if you're a rockets fan you must be ecstatic because last year was a train wreck but all of a sudden there's a lot of hope i you know i had jalen green evan mobley i think you couldn't go wrong with either one now jalen green i think is more guaranteed to be a star like if he you can pencil him in for 25 points a game i think mobley has a higher ceiling just because of what the vision for what Mobley can be that type of big man in today's NBA is you, you know, you can be one of those unicorn players that is absolutely vital to a championship team. Whereas 25 point per game shooting guard, you know, no matter how good Jalen green is, um, I still think you're going to have to pretty good, good roster around him. So I think Mobley is a higher ceiling, but I, I do think that as a skinny big, 
you're hoping on a lot of things and Mobley has a lot of good tools, but you also, there is part of you that worries that some of it may not all translate to the NBA. Whereas I think Jalen Green is a surefire. To, to me, Mobley is a more lock on the defensive end. Offensively, there's a lot of these Chris Bosh comparisons and it just felt like Bosh was way smoother coming out of Georgia Tech. Yeah. Like Mobley, you know, watching him in the tournament, watching him in the Pac-12, it was one of those things where he would look awesome some nights. He would look really sort of uncomfortable some nights. Yeah. And like, look, he's 18, 19. Like, I'm not saying he's a finished product by any measure, but that's the piece. Like, there's the vision, right? It's some combination of Bam Adebayo, DeAndre Ayton, like Christian Wood, yeah, like these kind like, of multi-talented. Like, we just see a bunch of them, like, currently in the NBA. So we're like, oh, shit, we got to get this guy. Um, I would bet on the perimeter scorer. Versus yeah, the big. I, I bet on him too, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Mobley turns out to be the better player. And a lot, I mean, of people, some people are saying Mobley could be the best player in the draft. Th- that's right? what I'm like, saying, and that's, that's because how high his ceiling, ceiling is. is so high. But uh, I, I really thought Houston could go either way here, and it wouldn't have been like yeah. fit wise. I think either one would have worked. I'm confused, not confused. I'm just curious. Let's say about what Cleveland's going to do because you know the Colin Sexton rumors; those have been rampant right 27 out of 29 teams have been like rumored to be in conversations about Colin Sexton so who knows where he's going to end up it doesn't seem like he's playing for Cleveland next year they don't want to pay him but would you really pay Jared Allen four years 100 million dollars which is roughly what he wants when you could just kind of swap in Mobley or do you see them sort of playing together and that actually working I think you I mean I I think they could potentially play him but I I really do think they look to see what they can get for Jared Allen is a you're gonna have to pay him. I get it, but like he's still a a value, an asset, a valued player around the league. Um, some team will be willing to pay him. So I just I'm resistant to playing paying bigs who aren't game changers. And I'm not saying Jared Allen is like just replacement level. You can swap in anyone you want for him, and it's all good. I just like I think about it. And I'm like, what are the contracts that teams always get in trouble with? And it's these like sort of limited talent limited kind of feel bigs and you pay for the height you pay for the size and the rim protection and all this and that but like you can find versions of that elsewhere unless you have a guy who can really impact on both ends it's really tough for me to be like all right and this is the Rudy Gobert problem right that's like the worst version of it where he's owed 200 million dollars and they have to like you know he's play getting played off but at least you're getting an elite skill out of him right like an elite you are but I get your point I get your point. Like the Kings fans were talking about the same thing with Rashawn Holmes, right? Where we're worried that he might command a lot on the market. But at the end of the day, Biggs, you can find a guy who like Rashawn Holmes isn't that special. You can get someone at a discount who gives you 80% of the value. Um, and it's just not worth paying a premium for, for guys who are like Jared Allen's very good at his job. But at the end of the day, like you don't want to be tying that much money to him. And there's the injury risk with Biggs. I think that's the other big part of it, right? You're just – yeah. These guys naturally get hurt, and then it's harder for them to recover from injury. Yeah. So. Um, okay, so then Scotty Barnes. That was the big surprise. of, Or one, the first big surprise. Yeah. I'm just – maybe this is – I just don't know that I can get around guys who are going to shoot in the 20s from three. Like the, the, the mold is always Kawhi Leonard or Pascal Siakam or these guys who like made these drastic improvements, Jimmy Butler. Or in Jimmy's case, you don't even really have to become a three-point shooter. It just feels like it's far and few between. That's the hope for Barnes. That's the hope for Kuminga. There's a couple of guys in this draft that like that fit that kind of archetype. 
I didn't love it. I thought it was a reach and, you know, Florida state makes good pros. They don't make a lot of stars. And I think Jonathan Isaac is another one, right? Like he has this whole ceiling, he has his, yeah. but like, we haven't seen anything yet. He always has a second contract. We actually haven't seen anything yet from him. That's how I felt about Scotty Barnes. Well, Barnes does everything so well though. I, I know the shooting is a concern, but he does everything at such a high level. And I think the Raptors, I mean, I was so surprised um, because it seemed like with Lowry possibly gone, Suggs is the perfect player to kind of plug into that Raptors yeah. team. Um, but, you know, if, they, if they're if they getting rid of Siakam, which I think they're, they're probably looking at, I mean, there's already, uh, it's been made known that Siakam's not happy or the Raptors are thinking about moving him. I think now that's probably their plan, given that they're, they're filling that wing position, so... I don't know. I, I just I think Barnes is good. I agree, though. I it's it, there are concerns with those types of wings, and we've seen it from Florida State itself. There's another wing before Isaac. I'm trying to remember who. Yeah, Isaac. Um, oh yeah, um, uh, Chris Singleton. The Wizards drafted Singleton. him years ago. No, there's another um, one. There, there are a couple of guys from Florida State who, like you said, Devin they all Vassell end up having a very limited ceiling. Yeah, Devin Vassell, who he just went to the Spurs year. last year. No. He didn't do a goddamn thing. Yeah, at number four, you're hoping to get a star, right? So I, it, it's actually amazing how many top like lottery picks they pump out. Now that I think about it, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just I don't know. That's that's kind of the question, right? Which is like, what is his ceiling going to be? Terrence Mann actually went to Florida State, which I did not realize. As did Malik Beasley. No, Interesting. Yeah. Um, what's his ceiling going to be? It's way higher than his. It's kind of like, to me, it's way higher than his floor. It may be one of the biggest ranges in the top 10. Yeah, sure. He's always going to project as a great defender. He's always going to be able to, you know, be all defense conversation, that type of thing. But, dude, sometimes defense doesn't always translate the way they think. Remember when Willie Cauley-Stein was supposed to be the, like, one to five, he could guard anyone, and he ended up being, like, good on offense and terrible and on, on defense? defense. Yep. <laughs> it was yep. like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, that stuff, you can't always count on those exact things translating, but. Um, I think the Magic would be one of my big winners of the night, though, um, because they get they get uh, Suggs at five, right? Who yep. is going to be a stud? I think he can play next to Markel Fultz. I think he can back him up to start. We'll see what happens. Fultz is a guy who you know has already missed one of the three years of his extension, so it's not like he's a major part of the future if he doesn't need to be. Um, and then at eight, they got uh, Franz Wagner, right? Yep. So. They got a wing, you know, they, they get Isaac back. They have Wendell Carter, you know, they have Mo Bamba. They got uh, RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony. Like these guys all probably suck. So it's like, <laughs> let's temper the expectations. But at least you have some more excitement now and like no, real actual basketball players. They're a fun team. A lot of promising talent. All those guys have shown flashes. None of those are straight busts. Like Cole Anthony yeah. was solid last Mo year. Mo Bamba is, I mean, if he well, wasn't I, for the song, you could argue that. <laughs> <laughs> but Isaac is still there's still hope for Isaac, you know, and all these guys. I think Suggs and Wagner, I was middling on as you know, because I thought the Kings were going to get him for a while. He was linked to the Kings, uh, but when you get Suggs and a guy who can contribute right away, it makes it easier to swallow the pill on a guy like Wagner who can contribute but limited ceiling. Right, he's not going to. Yeah, drastically improve anything, but he fills out your roster nicely or your rotation nicely. So, I mean, they they are definitely they got lucky with Suggs falling there. Um, I thought they were going to go Kaminga if he no, was available. I, no, I thought I thought maybe, and I don't think Golden State was going to pass up Kaminga, but 
if they were able to get Kaminga at eight and that's Suggs what I mean. That's five, what I mean. Yeah, oh. yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant. If if Golden State hadn't taken Kaminga, which I was surprised that they did. Oh, I wasn't. Just because of how much we heard about how far he was away from being like a valuable contributor. I just assumed they would take someone more ready. I thought they were going to take Wagner, to be honest, at seven. And then Kuminga would have just fallen in the Magic's lap. That would have been like probably that, the, the absolute best case the, scenario. Yeah, because two guy, top five guys before the season started. Like, Yeah, I mean, Kuminga was like in the conversation for number one before the season yep. started. So mm-hmm. I never buy – I mean, like he struggled a bit, but it's, it's a tough transition. I, I don't know that I buy it that much. Do you think, as a side note, because the Wizards also took a guy at 31 from the G League Ignite team – Given that sometimes not going the college route hurts guys' stock, right? We saw it with RJ Hampton last year. But do you think, because like LaMelo went three, you know, you had Green and Kuminga, both top 10 picks. Do you think we're just going to start to see this more and more if, as long as it doesn't hurt your draft stock? I do. I definitely don't think it's going to happen more. Or or these guys are going to start going from high school, right? Like Kuminga would have been drafted straight out of high school. Jalen Green would have been drafted straight out of high school. All this is going to change when these guys can be taken from high school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the funny thing about Kuminga is I thought the G League hurt his stock because the problem with the G League is when you talk about his shot selection and, you know, the, the knocks on him were shot selection, was not a great shooter. Well, a couple of things. You're playing against better talent in the G League than you are in college for the most part, at least especially in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And you're also playing on these weird teams that G League teams aren't really built to play like teams. Right. Yeah, because everyone's got, trying to get to the NBA. So exactly. It's just like so I I always take the the poor shot selection and not a great team player like with a grain of salt because it's hard in that environment. Whereas in college, it's geared towards a team. Concept, yeah, you're right? playing with Buddy Bayheim, who's like primary goal in college is just to like hit to the sorority house like right after <laughs> the game. Like, like exactly. he's not so taking like, the league. Like if you put Kuminga on, I don't know, give me some random team. Arkansas, and Arkansas had some good NBA players, but if you like, you think he wouldn't dominate and be like look so much better? Just on yeah, like paper? if he was on Virginia Tech, yeah, we would look fucking would awesome. Look and I bet you we wouldn't yeah. have lost to Florida in the first round of the tournament. So the funny thing is, I think it. Some in some ways we're too harsh on some of these guys in the G League. I know Jalen Green looked awesome, but I think Kuminga is going to be great. I've always been well. That's why I asked the question, right? Because in in Green's case, his stock actually improved, but that hasn't been typical for when guys don't go the route yeah. of of the college route, right? Like the most famous example to me was probably Brandon Jennings, who went to go play in Italy when he was going to be like a top three pick. Really, really struggled there again because it's just a different situation. It's it's you're away from home. There's different factors, but he drops to tenth. And we didn't see a ton of guys go overseas. Um, we saw a few here and there. But now with the G League thing, who knows? But then at the same time, if you have name image, image likeness in the NCAA, you don't yeah. have to sacrifice making money. So yes, a guy like Zion Williamson, would have, that, yeah, just... Zion Williamson would have made half a million or a million dollars, right? Like yeah, the fucking guy from money, Alabama. You get a party, you get the school experience. Like, why not at that point? Did you see the quarterback from Alabama who hasn't even taken a snap yet? Um, he's the guy who's basically replacing Mac Jones, five star, you know, number one quarterback in the country. He's already up over a million dollars in NIL. Oh my God. (laughs) With like other deals that he's like basically said no to or hasn't started yet. Insane. But anyway, so yeah, so Orlando did, did really well. Thunder at six, you know, they have a million and a half picks. You remember this is this is my problem with the Thunder, right? When are they going to put it together? 
Or was this the pick that – I mean, look, Josh Giddy, Australian, supposed to be like a savant passer, great IQ, unselfish. Could it work with SGA? Of course. But to me, if you're trying to get the stars, which is what you're trying to do, I think you actually try to like aim a little bit higher, right? Like you have to go with a little bit higher of a ceiling player, even if it means lower floor, because you have so many you know, at-bats. That's the reason you collected all these damn picks. I have no idea what OKC is doing. <laughs> I, Giddy, I, I look, I'm high on Giddy. I love Giddy, but you're absolutely right. He doesn't have a high ceiling. He's a, a guy who's got a kind of the glue for an offense and, and play well as a playmaker, facilitator at the forward position. But like, if you're OKC, you have so many picks, keep taking chances on projects. Like, Poku made sense. Yeah, that, exactly. Right? Take chances on guys like that. And at six, like, Giddy was such a reach. I get it if maybe he was ready to go in that range, but take a chance on other guys with higher upside. I don't know what they're doing. And and again, in this draft, once again, they traded down to get two additional picks. Yeah. And I also think there's diminishing returns with all these picks. Like, there's only, it's not that, you know, it's not you, like, okay, you have five first picks, you can get a superstar. That means 15 picks, you're going to get three superstars. Like, it doesn't work linearly like that. And at a certain point... And you can't have five rookies all trying to vie for their second contract at the same time. Like, that's who, if you decide to draft them, right, and keep like, them. This like, this is the Boston problem, right, where they just kept acting like they were going to package the picks for the stars, and it just never happened. And suddenly they had, like, a million young guys, all of whom, like, sucked and got in each other's way. And, you know, yeah, they did get so, Jason Tatum, of course, but after, and Jalen Brown. But after that, it was just like this hodgepodge of random players. So I'm tired of calling Presti a genius and the picks and that. Like, at this point, I don't know what their plan is because Giddy made no sense today. Getting more picks didn't make any sense. Keep drafting these flyers. And this is a pretty deep draft. Like, I don't know. Take some chances. That's what I would say. I just feel like um, the thing is, it was funny because I was watching, but I was sort of like paying attention, sort of, Doing the dishes, no big deal. But um, <laughs> I saw that they took Sanguin. I was like, oh, there it is. That's the kind of pick that I want them to take when you have all these assets. Get the guy who everyone's raving about. And then my buddy, Sean, who frequent listener of the pod, so shout out, was saying something about, oh, they're protected picks. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, He's like, that. Yeah. no, he's gone. He's in Houston. And I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, oh, my God. Then I was like even more in love with the Rockets draft. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of pick you should take. That's the Poku type pick exactly. uh, where your fans aren't expecting immediate things. I mean, look, Giddy could be really, really good, right? Like he could be kind of like almost like I'm just thinking like a better version of like a Joe Ingles. Joe, Joe Ingles. To, that's what, that's the too, comp. Too much of a too spot on. Right. It's like not even like the race comp. I had to go like ethnicity and like nationality comp. Um yeah, and like Joe Ingles is awesome. Right? So yeah. if it's a version like that, maybe. Just six felt steep in a draft that was supposed to be this deep. Problem is he had a, effectively like Memphis apparently traded for that number 10 pick to get him. Um, yep. And so he wasn't going much further past that. I don't know who was available you know, at 789 to trade up. So let's, let's just get to the Kings. We've been burying the lead too long. The Kings took Davion Mitchell, senior out of um, – Baylor, awesome, awesome player, two-way player, shot 43% from three, but he's six foot one. And he's 23 years old. So 22, but 23. 22, gonna be 23 by the time the season starts. So where are you at right now? It's been a couple hours. Have you have you calmed down? What are you feeling? And what are the Kings fans, more importantly, that you speak for on behalf of? What are they feeling? So I'm gonna speak on behalf of myself, first of all. This was an outright terrible 
disaster train wreck of a pick. This is the worst outside of the Bagley pick because that obviously takes the crown for the worst pick in NBA history potentially. This was the worst pick the Kings have made, and I'm including outside of Bagley, and I'm including Thomas Robinson. I'm including Nick Stauskas. I'm including um, Ben McLemore. I'm even going to include Jimmer Fredette. I thought this was a worse pick than Jimmer Fredette. Okay. Yikes. I'll tell you why. <laughs> Davion Mitchell, I don't care he, that he won the championship. I don't care that he has he's a dog on the court. He plays hard, high-character guy. This is what I see Davion Mitchell. I see a 23-year-old prospect. I see a six, a player who's 6'1", maybe 6 feet. 6'1 might be generous. Um, it's generous, I think, from and what I understand. who's known as a good defender, but at six feet and with a 6'2 wingspan, what does that mean? Name one good defender or elite defender in the NBA whose defense actually impacts the team that's that small. And I know you're going to say Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's 6'3 and a longer wingspan. And Yeah, no, I wasn't going to say Drew Holiday. I was going to say um, Avery Beverly. Bradley, but I just looked him up, and he's also 6'3". So... I don't have and and these guys, and Avery Bradley's as a small guy, right? Yeah. And when when you're so, I'm not even going to get to the Kings roster fit, right? Because everyone's going to talk about we already have Fox, we already have Halliburton. At this point in the draft, the Kings have to go BPA. I would have wanted to go Book Knight, and if not Book Knight, you still had Moody, you still had uh, Sangoon, you had all these other guys. They went for a guy who is not going to play right away. He's buried in the depth chart. He's back up to Fox, a guy who is already older than almost as old as De'Aaron Fox, as you mentioned in our chat today. <laughs> He's going to be his rook, but then also like his chaperone. Yeah. And and I just don't get it, man. Like, And you know what? The Kings did this a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remembered. We drafted NCAA player of the year, national champion, all heart, character, Amazing guy, scorer, fearless. Everything you want to call about Davion Mitchell, not the defense, but everything else, undersized. Do you remember what his name was? Well, Jimmer definitely fits that bill. No, national champion. Or final four, at least. I'm forgetting now. And how long ago was it? Blue Blood School. Hmm. And the reason you don't remember his name is because he's irrelevant as fuck in the NBA. His (laughs) name is Frank Mason Jr., Oh, but he went like 53rd or something. Yeah. And so that profile of a player, you can take in the second round, and I'm going to be okay with it. Why are you drafting him at number uh, nine? Uh, Mitchell. It's crazy. And like the fact that he was even basically a top 10 to 15 pick was was predicated on that tournament run, which is a very dangerous sample size to to build your draft profile off of. It's like two weeks, three weeks. Every yeah. Kings fan is worried that Vivek was watching that tournament and was like, ooh, this this Davion Mitchell guy is pretty good, right? He won the championship. He makes decisions like Bill Simmons, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, well, he's, I saw him when he was playing the Clippers one of my season <laughs> tickets, and therefore here's my entire version of his career and also where he sits on the Pantheon. That's basically what Vivek did here. Yeah, so before I let you get your thoughts, the last thing I'll say is that um, when you're the Kings, you can't whiff on these picks. And this was a loaded draft. There were a lot of guys who we could have taken – and I wouldn't have mind, like, even if we took Zaire Williams a little early, like, he's a project. He's got a lot of upside. There's no upside to Davion Mitchell. He's mm-hmm. not going to really impact this team in any meaningful way. 
And there's some Kings fans who are defending it, right? Who are saying, oh, he's high character. He's a winner and he's yeah, a good defensive what player. what is the defense? That's what I'm trying to understand. Like, what would be the rationale? Just because they're terrible at D and he's awesome at defense? The, yeah, the rationale is no. The rationale is high character, plays hard, winning player. And that, like, that culture is what we need in Sacramento. Like, that culture is not coming from a 23-year-old rookie. That's not the tone that a, a rookie is going to set. Um, and also, dude, culture is important but guess what comes before culture it's Winning. like talent and but just talent like being good at basketball and like being the right players around one another it was a tough one i almost had to double take before i texted you because i didn't want to clown you and then only for that pick to be traded and headed somewhere else but nope it looks like he's gonna be in sacramento i just couldn't believe they did it with book night on the t- on the board um now i don't know if book night halliburton and fox could have all shared the court bpa um, that's fine. BPA. Yeah. Jeez. Like to me, the guy was moody. I was shocked. Moody yeah. fell to 14, honestly. Uh, but anyway, the guy was moody. Like you said, um, uh, maybe Zaire Williams. I would have thought that was a little, little high. I thought it yeah, was that's a stretch, but I'm just 10. saying I'd rather have him. There was just a lot of good wings, right? Like there was just a lot of guys or bigs and you need both. Cause like Holmes yeah. might leave and Bagley is, you know, Exactly. So, so like, the thing that I'd heard was that they were in love with Franz Wagner. And then he goes uh, eight, and I almost wonder if, like, they panicked. I, I, which, that, that, was my, that was my worry. Which I is think. a really bad situation to be in. When you're at number nine, you should know every permutation of how the draft could play out. Here's, here's the other part. Um, they interviewed Davion Mitchell right away. He could not be any less excited. For, about being in Sacramento. They asked him if he worked out with the Kings prior to the draft. Point blank, stoic face said, I don't want to discuss that. Like, what kind of answer is that, man? I don't want to discuss that. And he was apparently very moody during the whole conference, wouldn't look up at reporters. And this is your high character winning glue guy. This guy, like, you know, we, we always call Sacramento basketball hell. Um and yeah, he knows. He's, he seemed ready for it. Yeah, he was like, like Caliburn right. at least last year acted the part. Like, I love it. I can't wait. You know, but I don't know. This guy, I'm not so high on him. Um, I think that, I think that they nailed the Halliburton pick in a really important way last year. It seems like they're on the way to nailing the Fox pick too. Um, I think we're. It's safe to say that they did that. But there's so many misses, and like you said, with. Sacramento, who's not a free agent destination, who's not going to be swinging trades for stars or anything like that. This is the only way to get good. So you can't have the same kind of batting average that a Golden State can have or, you know, Los Angeles can have or New York or whoever. Um, So I don't know, man. I feel for you. I think he'll probably win you over in a lot of ways. Honestly, I do think he'll make a bunch of plays that you're just like hyped up about. But I just don't get it from a basketball standpoint at all. Um, I don't get how they all play together. I don't get, you know, what the long-term view is unless they're trying to do something crazy like trade Fox for Simmons. You know, that could be something that ends up happening. Um, It would be a pretty dumb trade in my opinion. I think Fox is the better player already, even though he has zero All-Stars, zero NBA is just what he could do offensively. But that would make this make a little bit more sense if they had Ben Simmons playing like a point forward role. And that's what I think they're they're probably liked Mitchell. And then they also think in the event that that Simmons trade comes to fruition, we have an insurance policy. So it works on two fronts, right? Did um, you see the um, trades that Maury is trying to pull over on the yeah, league right now? Hilarious. 
hilarious. <laughs> he's dude. asking for Bam. Dude, he's he's like that guy. Uh, do you have a guy or one of your friends in a fantasy Many. football league who's just spamming everyone with these ridiculous trades? At a certain point, no one like takes them seriously anymore, and then it's like no one wants to trade him. In my league, like- I can only trade with two other people because the other seven need like the scale to be tipped ninety percent in their favor <laughs> before they feel comfortable to be like, yeah, I think I'll part with these third my number four running back for your yeah. star receiver. Um, so I can't do any, I, I, I play in a league of Maury's. So I got two guys. We just kind of rotate rosters every year and see what, what the cocktail is that works out best at the end. <laughs> yeah. But um, this is exactly what it reminds me of. It's just all these, what they're asking for every, like the, the Warriors straight up just said, no, like as if not even going to consider it. Um, the heat one was more egregious because at least with the Warriors one, it's like, okay, Wiseman is not there yeah. yet. They were asking for freaking Bam, Bam. out of bio. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And Tyler Hero. Yeah. I mean, I know it's like shoot, start high, shoot your shot. I get all that. But at a certain point, your reputation around the league, you're, you're not. There's no you. Zopa. There's yeah. no Zopa. There's, exactly. To, we've we've taken uh, negotiations. We know there's no Zopa. For those who don't know what we're talking about, Zopa in any negotiation, you want to aim as low as possible without getting out of the Zopa, which means the zone of... Um, potential agreement? Fuck, what is it? Potential agreement? No. I yeah, yeah, there you go. Zone of potential agreement. So if I'm at the bottom of my Zopa, we're still good because you'll come down there. But if I'm doing something crazy, you're going to be like, fuck off. Like, yep. I'm out. And that's what's happening right now. The the Wiggins-Wiseman 714 and two future picks deal was the one that I found, always thought made the most sense for Beal, interestingly yeah. enough. Uh, it looks like he's kind of committed now to staying in DC. So, you know, they, the Warriors, I thought, had great two picks with Kuminga and Moody, Dude. but they were trying to move those guys originally. They, they came out like gangbusters in this. I, I, I think because even if they don't want to keep Kuminga and Moody, they can easily, that all of a sudden, that trade package now, when you talk about Kuminga, Moody, yep. Wiseman, Wiggins, that can fetch you a lot. A lot yeah. of teams would, would want that package of Kuminga and Moody. Because um, it could have broke differently and been like, you know, Franz Wagner and Chris Duarte. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're talking about Chris Duarte was like it. penciled in at 14. And they're talking about maybe Book Knight or Wagner at, at seven. So they, dude, like that, um, th- you know, they've done a good job with that team uh, managing the picks, the assets, like what they turned D'Lo into, the picks, even though they took back yeah. Wiggins, you know, that's how they got some of these first rounders. And it so. all comes back to the fact that they signed and trade Kevin Durant, right? Yep. For D'Lo, which yep. I don't remember. I, I thought that. That, that was the first time. Yeah, and I thought that the Nets had cap space outright to just sign him. But I don't, and Kyrie, but I don't remember why that they did the sign and trade for D'Lo. Like, why even, you know, entertain that if you just let him walk? I don't know if it was to, like, do right by D'Lo to give him a max deal or something like that. But, like, that one that was like the start of the domino that they just have kept playing that asset forward. I don't, I don't know either. Cause I remember at the time I never really fully understood it, but uh, yeah. now looking back at it, like they've come out so well out of that whole situation. Like it's yeah, rare. They, they traded for D'Lo being like, yeah, we're probably going to trade him. Like it yeah. was pretty incredible just to like see that play out. And he pumped up his, Oh, I guess he was lucky that Minnesota was in love with him. Towns was in love with him because yeah. I don't know if he had that value across the league. No. And the whole idea with Towns is in Towns's mind was like him, Russell Booker. They're all like three yeah, best friends. Exactly. To get Booker. In <laughs> going to Minnesota. Got, yeah. Meanwhile, Booker's making finals runs. Um, all right. So, 
The other thing that I, I think you, you mentioned book night. I thought, I mean, he was supposed to go six to Oklahoma city in a lot of mocks to end up at 11 with Charlotte, another kind of wing scorer next to LaMelo. That's going to be a super fun team. Like they got basically five or six perimeter guys that are really exciting. All of them are mediocre to bad shooters. So we'll see yeah. what happens, but they're they're looking like a team that's suddenly not just like the most irrelevant franchise in North American sports. And they're a fun team. I think LaMelo already made them a fun team and now a guy like Book Knight is going to make them more exciting. Yeah. And Book Knight was weird. He was I mean, he was projected in the teens early on and then rose up the draft ranks, right? Talks about him going to 7 at 7. Mhm. Or 6 potentially to OKC. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but then he he slipped back. But I he was one of those players like I wanted the Kings to take because I don't care if he's a guard. He is extremely talented. I thought he was the BPA at that point, but um, yeah, Charlotte. Left I, w- out. I will say, you know, you we're talking about being wary of guys who make the tournament run and jack up their stock. There's also the guys who have the crazy workouts and jack yeah. up their stock. And Book Knight was going from like mid to late teens into like the top ten. And so you do have to take that as well with a little bit of caution being like, all right, this guy like went crazy against the orange cones. Like that doesn't yeah. mean he's going to break everyone down in the NBA. That's um, a good point. Also a thing I forgot to mention, number 10, you know, we talked Zaire Williams to Memphis. What'd you think of the trade? Um, Jonas Valanciunas to uh, New Orleans, Adams and Bledsoe. I mean, they, David uh, Griff fucking up his, <laughs> like covering up his one year mistake basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess from the Pelican standpoint, great to get off Adams and Bledsoe. It's sunk cost fallacy, right? You you just you have to recognize your mistake and move on. And Griffin did that, which is good. Um, and Valanciunas in in New Orleans, I don't. I mean, he's a good player. I don't know if it's going to make that big of a difference. And you lose or you you slide down seven picks, right? So who do they end up getting at seventeen? Instead of they got um, Trey Murphy, Trey Murphy from UVA, which is not bad actually. He's it's a not good bad. Three and D I, guy. I, this trade, I didn't have a strong reaction to it, but how about you? I didn't think well, like either. I team just think really... it's so fucking dumb that they gave Adams that extension. Well, that, that that was dumb for sure. And, well, that was part of the thing, right? Because they're giving up a future pick too. It wasn't just swapping these picks. It's giving up a future pick to get off the contracts you just acquired last year and were bad in the moment. Bledsoe was bad. That's why Milwaukee wanted to move on, right? So it's like, okay, you take on him and George Hill. Just let them sit then. Why do you need to then go flip George Hill for Steven Adams and then extend Steven Adams? It, it made zero sense. And even though Adams is a good player, he's now making far too much money for the value he brings to today's NBA. A year later, what happens? Zion's pissed and suddenly they have to go, um, you know, they have to go actually like figure out a way to get off his deal because now Zion's clock is ticking somehow in year three. It really, really pissed me off. It's one of those things that's just like front office malpractice where, look, you're not going to bet a thousand. It's very easy to armchair quarterback like we do, but that was a deal in the moment we were talking about how dumb it was. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, so I get that, right? So, but those are independent of this trade. Like, I get that he had to make this to cover up those mistakes, which are all egregious. I don't think, I mean, but to get off that contract at this point, you had to give up that pick. So I don't think in terms of this trade, any team really won. It makes sense, but uh, I don't have, I don't, and then look, if you're in New Orleans, you have to fix your mistakes quickly. Like you do, because the Zion pressure is mounting. And so 
as bad as it looked that you extended him two years, you have to get off that contract because him and Zion are not going to work. And everything right now needs real, to be catered to Zion. By the way, the mounting pressure, or you think it's manufactured by agents, whatever BS? It's, it's like, 100% manufactured, right? Like, I, I don't know if Zion like What's he going to do? He's not going to do anything. But look, he's not going to turn down. He's not going to turn down. I'm not saying he's going to turn it down. But if you're his people, you're his agent, of course, you're going to put that pressure on to make New Orleans take this seriously and put the right pieces around him. And if you're New Orleans, you've been through a situation with Anthony Davis. Granted, you had a much longer, but you start to get worried about, are we going to lose out another star? I I get it. I still don't think there's a big chance he leaves before that extension. But you're going to put the pressure on him. They're, they're going to put the pressure on, and he's ready to win, but he also has holes in his game, too, right? Like, I think you and I both had him all NBA, right? Yeah. I had and I believe he made he made third team, didn't he? Did he? I forget. I, I, either way, have. he was right on the cusp. I thought he did. But anyway, so this guy's already an all NBA player, but as a big man who's kind of bad on defense, there are things he can do to get better, too. He also missed, um, you know, he oh, he didn't make all NBA. He also, oh yeah, it was Paul George, that's right. He also missed half of his rookie season. So he's only played a season and a half. And I think it needs to kind of be taken into account that he's may not be quite ready to win yet either. I mean, I think it's kind of crazy how fast we're we're putting the clock on. Like, I think it's different for Luka, who is first team all NBA. You know, it's like a different situation than the level Zion's been playing at. Um, And even still, Luka's going to sign that extension. I think a lot of people think, Somebody eventually is going to walk away from it and, you know, do the qualifying offer. And I, I believe that's probably going to happen. Do you really think Zion with his health and his sort of like play style is going to be the one to do it? I, I, I doubt it. No, I don't. But I, but I do believe, like I, I do think it's similar to Luca, in which I'm not saying Luca's putting pressure on anyone and he's going to sign the extension. Right. But um, with Luca there is still that pressure that's mounting. And Luka's a better player than Zion, but Zion is still, dude, he's, I, I at the beginning of the season, I wasn't as high on Zion, but by the end of the season, I'm like, the sky's the limit for this guy. He has so much room for improvement. He's still, even offensively, like he's very good offensively. He still can develop more moves, more tricks, and totally. he's already yeah. dominant. So I, I still think that this guy can be a transcendent player and you have to treat him like such. I don't um, doubt that he can. I just, yeah, okay, dude, I, like, I, I think he'll sign Putting the cart before the horse is really dangerous because you get you put yourself in this like situation where half your roster looks one way, but the other half looks another way because you're still not making the playoffs, right? You're still drafting in the lottery. So you have this collection of like high prospect, you know, young lottery picks. Then you have this collection of veterans that you're trying to like push the team forward and it doesn't gel. I mean, the Bucks are the model at how they developed around Giannis, even when there were missteps, right? Like drafting Jabari Parker number two overall instead of Embiid, that yeah. type of thing. But they didn't panic. Part of that had to do with how much Giannis got better. So it wasn't like he was preordained as this superstar from day one, right? They could play it slow with him because he was not expecting to be anything. I mean, he didn't different. average 20 points a game until his fourth season. Right. I right. did it in his rookie I, year. I agree. I agree. All I'm saying, though, is if you don't take a methodical approach, you're going to end up getting burned because you have this mismatch of a roster that doesn't make sense. And then all you can do is keep band-aiding it over and over again, just flipping out the next set of bad contracts. Like, if they don't do well this year, right, exactly. And if they don't do well this year, who do you think is going to be traded next summer? Brandon Ingram, right? So then it's like, okay, we lost the one guy who was potentially his running mate. They're already going to lose Lonzo. Um, They lost Drew Holiday. 
right? They try to bring in JJ Redick, try to bring in Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe. All of them are gone. You know, maybe Josh Hart stays, maybe he doesn't. Now they got this whole Jackson Hayes situation, which was crazy, right? Yeah. You know, so who knows what this team's going to look like. This looks like even more of a dysfunctional team than if they had just stayed the course. Yeah, I no. I, I agree, but I just... So I agree. You don't want to overreact. At the same time, just moving one piece here and there off this team, this team has serious flaws, and a lot of it needs to be blown up, right? So yeah. you have to blow it up. You have to do it fast, but then you have to be patient. I do agree. You can't keep doing this year after year. There needs to be yeah, some Yeah, and like the Stan Van Gundy hiring. They weren't ready for Stan Van Gundy. That yeah. Maybe no team is at this point, but... <laughs> For all yep. that David Griffin has done well, both here and in Cleveland, he's definitely had a few head scratchers. And, you know, you just can't, like, dude, it's a Sacramento conversation. You just can't have too many of them when you're a small market team. Exactly. Um, because as good as Zion is, let's say Dame Lillard, they were going to trade for him. Do you think he would be, like, welcoming that opportunity with open arms? I, I don't know. I don't think he would. No. But, all right. Anything else draft-wise that we did well, not Let's talk about on? Corey Kispert. What are your oh, thoughts right. on Kispert? So, you know, super bummed, first of all, that we didn't get Moody. We were one pick short. Kispert was second on my, like, big board, so to speak, of who I thought was going to be there at 15. I didn't think either one Moody or Kispert were. So when we got to those and we got to 13, I was good with Duarte, Kispert, or Moody. So I was happy that we got one of them. We got the guy that I probably ranked third in my mind. <laughs> um, but I think – this really opens us up in terms of having a shooter that we can try uh, in, you know, moving Deo Tavis Bertans, who literally is stealing money for the franchise right now. And, you know, we joked at the top, but Kuzma provides a lot of defense. Kispert kind of gives us that shooting, both of which we did not have in any capacity and KCP at the wing position. We didn't have any of that last year. Now we have like three pretty decent wings. And I think Kispert's a guy who's going to be able to play as a rookie. He's not going to be a project. Um, he's not going to take forever to develop. He's a low. He's a low ceiling guy. Like he's not making any all star teams. But if he can give us like, you know, eighty percent version of Duncan Robinson, like that's pretty lethal. Um, defensively, I think he sounds like he's okay. He's not going to, you know, he's he was good in college. It's just that his the athleticism won't yeah. translate, so he's going to be worse in the pros, right? Right, and you know. That part is a little troubling because a lot of these one-dimensional shooters, it's just hard to like plan for when they should be on the court uh, because you want them late game to make big shots. But at the same time, if they can't guard someone on the other end, it gets tough. But I like the pick. I, I mean, he's hot also. I think that needs to be said. Like He's going to be featured <laughs> a lot in and around the stadium. <laughs> I thought for sure we were going to take sanguine because freaking ted just has an obsession with like adding a different country to his list of like fans <laughs> and we don't there's you know there's no players from turkey we already have israel and japan i was for sure thinking we we're gonna take him and i was like not happy where's jan vesely from czech republic okay different that's why we took sadaransky as well a couple years later important question is uh kispert the hottest washington wizard player since kelly Oubre? it's gotta be we should do a bracket it's got to be them in the finals. Like, I think Beal might have a score or a round one upset over someone or another, but damn it. That's a, that's, I might have to a little off. hot and bothered. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I thought it was a good pick. I mean, 
at that point, look, dude, what are the odds that a 15th pick is going to be play a meaningful role in your team? It's pretty low. Um, draft is such a crapshoot to begin with, but when you get out of the lottery, it really takes a dive. Um, I, I love though. the value. I love the value for the Wizards in there. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I've never been a Kispert fan, but that's also because I was worried the Kings would take him. He was sliding past 9-10, but for a while he was in that range. Right. Um, but I think at 15, dude, he's what I like about him is he's not only a good shooter, but he was asked to every now and then create on that Gonzaga team and and in a kind of a crunch, he'd sometimes Mm -hmm. have to create and he was able to do that. So he's a smart player. He's not just a pure shooter, although in the NBA, he probably will become more of like a Duncan Robinson type. Um, So it's pretty good. Yeah. And and the wizards are looking kind of like, maybe not nice, but very interesting from a talent standpoint with Kuzma, KCP, Rui, Kispert. They've done a great job pivoting. It's from yeah. what seemed like it was a true dead end. Exactly. So, you know, um, things might be looking up for you guys. But I, I hope there's another move to surround Beal with, like... So the know, guy, I'm not player. thrilled about this, but the guy that they're talking about is um, Spencer Dinwiddie right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what name I was expecting, but it was not that. <laughs> so that's one name, and then apparently Beal has spoken to, you'll like this also, DeMar DeRozan. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway, we're going to be back to right where we started, eight seed next year. Um, it was honestly funny. Apparently, people in the know at Didwitty's camp believe that he believes that him, Beal, and Rui can form a big three uh, oh that can God. make the playoffs. So that, that's where we're at. Oh, God. They won't pull the plug, right? They won't just get rid, yeah, get rid of this era. Trade Beal. If they're not going to restart, they're going to have to do stuff like this. That's the only way to stay somewhat competitive. Look, respect to Beal, who's like, I'm willing to stay here. Let's keep running it back. Put some pieces around me. I like it. Why not? And then the team is like, all right, we'll try to do something with you. But The guy I really wanted them to go for was Porzingis post getting rid of this Russ trade, Russ contract. Because you couldn't pay Russ, Porzingis, and Beal. That would be an yeah. atrocity. Like, salary cap people would come, like, just beat you in the streets. But... <laughs> With Porzingis being the second big contract, you know it's a huge risk with his health and general the fact that he like shies away from every big moment, but not a bad buy low candidate for another team in Dallas who's somewhat desperate to do something like we talked mm-hmm. about. I just don't think we have like the assets if we're not going to include Rui, which I don't think we would. And Rui's showing up for Japan, right? The Olympics right now? Yeah, the Wizards or he had fans. One game. I don't know if he's been doing. No, he's been. I mean, he's their main player. The Wizards fans were really hyped. He was a flag bearer for Team Japan, dude. Wow. Put some respect on this guy's name. But he, Wizards fans were really happy because he had more points than Luca last night. Slovenia played Japan. <laughs> yeah. He had thirty-four, and Luca had, had like twenty-five. Yeah. And then, but Slovenia won by thirty-five points. So I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> people are out here trading like Rui highlight tips clips. I'm like, you, did you see the score in the bottom right of like this <laughs> video you're watching? Like they're getting their actual face pushed in. Like, what are we talking about? Um, but speaking of which quick bit on the Olympics, Slovenia is now 15 and zero, including qualifying games With and Luka, exhibition right? games when Luka Doncic suits up for them. And they are potentially going to medal in their first ever Olympics, which is amazing. He had 48, 11, and 7 in the first game. And 25, 7, and 7. These are 40-minute games, by the way. These aren't 48. He plays with no other NBA players on that team. 
It's a one-man show. It's unbelievable. Like Goran Dragic is Slovenian, but he's not playing because I think he's got upcoming free agency. So it's his brother, Zoran Dragic. Um, any thoughts on Team USA before we go? Are you worried? Uh, well, they beat down Iran, which they should have. Um, and the defensive intensity. So I don't know if you watched. I watched the replay of that game. I didn't watch it. I watched live, it. Yeah, so I watched I the replay too. That they were swarming on defense, but of course, like I mean, who like it was Adani Iran, was the dude. Best like on- it was like Argo too, basically out there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You can't you can't watch that game. I think it take anything away from well, it, honestly. And, yeah, and then the players from Iran after the game were like trying to get pictures and like autographs yeah. from the U.S. That's players. like ninety two dream like team shit. Yeah, when they're doing that, it's like okay, this team was never right, but. I think they needed this a get right game. You know, sometimes you just need a get right game to beat up on a crappy team. Yeah, I still have worries. This U.S. team is uh, we've, we've talked vulnerable. about this. Extremely vulnerable. They've got a lot of good shooters, but the shots aren't falling. They go through cold stretches like that game against France when they were up six or seven with a couple of minutes left, and they just go through a absolute ice cold stretch. And I don't think they're good enough defensively individually. Um, I mean, they've got, sorry, they have good individual defenders, but these teams are playing are play really well as a team. And this, this U S team is just hasn't gelled yet. So I still think the U S can win it all, but it's, it's not going to be easy, man. It's not going to, to, to me, the problem is their shooters are not shooters. They're scorers. And what I mean by that is not just looking at the percentages of what Jason Tatum or Damian Lillard or, you know, Chris Middleton shoot from three but rather the way they get their threes. And it's not a lot of the ball movement, kind of like wide open, catch and shoot. It's very much like off the dribble, off the the screen, step back. And those shots end up becoming streakier than when you catch in rhythm. Um, And you're like, even the France game that we lost, you look at that, they had like four wide open looks at the end to like win it. And they just kept bricking Durant missed Tatum missed like, Lillard, and, Levine, they're all the same types of shots these guys they're, take they're, too. Yeah, it's like literally the same. The same. They player, all do that little like, step back three. And it's it's just, like watching five of the same player on the court at, yeah. at all times. Um, and then there's Draymond who's just there. Yeah, Draymond was passing up layups against Iran, like shades of Ben Simmons <laughs> yeah. out here. Um, so I don't know. I mean, they're gonna probably beat Czech Republic. I think Saturday um, is when they play them. Yeah. They have to beat them to get into the medal round. Um, yeah. And then because they're going to finish second, right, in their group, because uh, France will probably finish first, then you're looking at playing the best team in some other group. Um, or in the other group, I guess. I don't know, yeah. actually. There's only two groups. I don't really know how seating works. But look, man, if you saw, if you had a gold medal game or even, like, let's say a tournament game, I just want to see Slovenia play the U.S. I really want to see Luka. Luka I mean, I'm not, rooting against, I'm not rooting against America, but I just want to see Luka taking everyone – to the fucking woodshed. I, I would love it. I would love it. It would be amazing. It's like him and Zoran Dragic versus <laughs> Durant and Drew Holiday, and he's just running them pick and roll to death. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, they like they've looked good. Obviously, Spain is clicking. Dude, Pau Gasol is still playing. Yeah. It's tough to watch him. He's, like, actively... He, A lot of these guys, man, like Luis Cola has played, what, in Olympics across four decades or something? Yeah, because he started in the 90s, I think. Yeah, like he's like gray everywhere on Argentina. Like these guys, it's unbelievable how much they care, right, for their country. Like I, I have mad respect for these teams and the way these guys play is like guys like Patty Mills, Evan Fournier, who look like completely different players. 
Yeah. Um, that, that's a fun thing, right? Like it would not be as fun. I mean, it's not fun because the, we don't want the U.S. to even be a threat of losing. But at the same time, it's like it's cool seeing all these other teams win off the basis of yeah. chemistry and just not talent, right? It's not fun to watch any team, even if it's the one you're rooting for, just win by 70 every night. Like, yeah, that's not basketball. And yeah, Australia, I didn't even mention them. They're favorites. They're one. Of, I mean, aside from the U.S., yeah. they're, I think they're second uh, best odds in terms of uh, winning gold. And can you imagine if they had Ben Simmons, who would actually have thrived in FIBA? Because, oh, yeah. you know, this would have worked well for him. This is actually not a, a type of basketball that really cares as much about just self you know iso scoring ability it's more about movement passing cutting which is all the things that he does well um they i mean dude if they had ben simmons playing in this fiba rules with patty mills who's fiba jordan like it could have been anything like they could have beaten the u.s yeah um, then you maybe put ben simmons will. on durant you know like or tatum or whoever right. you want to and right so we'll see olympics are it it they're just not making it easy to consume. It's not about <laughs> access. Like I even got Peacock for a month because the first game was yeah. on there and I didn't know for a while. But they just there's no rhyme or reason or way to tell what's on which channel. Like I was yeah. watching, you know, the Simone Biles thing. I was watching the women's gymnastics, like Noobs and I were watching like whatever the the first round of it or whatever, right? To see who qualified. And it was on uh, you know, NBC or CNBC or something. So then I knew that the final was that she had pulled out of was this morning. And so I got up, I was trying to watch it and it wasn't anywhere to be seen. And then by the time I see Twitter and then see that SUNY league wins, I'm like, what the fuck channel was this thing on? It was on Peacock. Yeah. Like, why would you just continue switching up? Like, how is this so hard? Like people, despite the time zones, we can get around that. Just make it easy for me to know what's on when it, it is super hard. Uh, and I don't know, I haven't been watching. I'm, I've never been a guy who watches the Olympics kind of. I like watching basketball. I watch a couple of other sports here and there, like when Phelps was, you know. And But and the fact that they make it this hard to consume makes someone who like me, who's already a little bit hesitant to watch it, like not yeah. even care. So. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like we haven't had games in Eastern Hemisphere in yeah. East Asia. Uh, we yeah. just did it, you know, 12 years, 13 years ago. But wait, have you watched any of the three-on-three no. Absolute pandemonium. It is. Really? It's just because the, there's no names to it. That's the reason I haven't watched. Um, They're all terrible. Um, every single player for both women's and men's and every single team. Women's actually, the, our team, they won gold. They used yeah. WNBA players. Everyone else, you've never heard of a single person. <laughs> I watched USA Mongolia women's. <laughs> Mongolia, to their credit, actually scored nine points. It was <laughs> like, without a doubt, me, you, and anyone we know would win that game versus them. I'm not even kidding. We could roll out of bed right now and win that game. It was, they were, <laughs> like, even Genghis Khan was, like, not pleased with what was going on. They, so, basically, there's no um, checking ball, like, even after made yeah. buckets. So, you just grab so it and grab it from the net, sprint to the three-point line, and they knew they couldn't get around them. So they would just grab it to the net, sprint, and then just hoist. <laughs> oh, man, I want to watch right, If there's a way you could watch this online, it would be, you should, because I couldn't believe what I was watching. Uh, this isn't a women's men's thing. Like, the men's team, like, uh, Big Cat from Barstool posted uh, a really funny thing 
It was just like, hey, good news. Now your Saturday morning pickup run is an Olympic sport. And the clip he posted was it was like uh, Serbia versus uh, fucking Japan or something. And it was a nightmare. Um, I'll check so, it out. Anyway, three on three. I don't know if it's going to make it to the 24 Did Latvia should, win we, the men's tournament or something? I thought it was Serbia, but I'm not sure. It was like um, one of those countries. It was like, yeah. Yeah, one been. of the Balkans really just loaded up their team. So... I just when this when the sport was first announced, I had all these dreams of it going to be like LeBron Durant <laughs> yeah. stuff. We didn't even qualify. Um, all right, anything else to add? No, man. I'm just gonna go back right now and watch Davon Mitchell highlights, and who knows? <laughs> but tomorrow I might have his jersey, so we'll we'll see. So we'll how do the emergency pod tomorrow when you've finished going through all of YouTube to find yeah. out why he's a good player. Hey, you beat my guy in the national championship game, so what should that make me feel That's about? True. You know. That's so, true. Um, all right. So that's a wrap. So coming up actually pretty soon, Sunday is the start of free agency, right? Yeah. Um, it's all happening fast. M- yeah. Moratorium period for a few days. And I think the league year officially starts uh, next week sometime. So we will be on a lookout for all sorts of deals coming this weekend. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops uh, on all major podcast platforms. Please uh, follow us on social media. Um, and enjoy the Olympics, enjoy whichever prospect your team drafted, and we will talk to you next week.